guess that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and none could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, here we go, everybody. Thank you for your patience and welcome to episode number 133 of Sports Cards Live. It is Wednesday night, March 9th, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank Eddie Siegel from Investicard for joining this past Saturday while he was at the Dallas show. Also, this was really cool. Check out the interview I did with Collectibles' new president of sports, Joe Orlando, on the Collectible TV YouTube channel. He was a great guest. Check that out. Next Saturday on the show, Chris McGill, Josh Johnson from Card Ladder are going to come on to talk about Card Ladder 2.0 and everything else that these guys are so good at and love to talk about. I want to shout out channel supporter, whatnot. Check them out for their check out their app for one minute breaks, one minute auctions, group breaks, buy it now is hosted around the clock. Some of the best breakers in the hobby. I will be doing another live stream from that platform very soon. Stay tuned for that. I want to shout out the West Coast Sports Card Convention in Vancouver, April 8th to 10th. Check out bossashows.com and the Sport Card Expo. First Edmonton show is April 15th to 17th. Note that the Toronto show has been now, the date has been changed to June 2nd to 5th, sportcardexpo.com. The Mint Collective, March 25th to 27th in Las Vegas. I will be there. Josh Luber will be there too. And shout out to TradeSafe, your risk-free alternative for trades and buy-sells from any peer-to-peer social media platform or marketplace. We've created a service, a process, and a team that makes remote dealing much safer than ever before. TradeSafeHub.com. Thank you to all subscribers, viewers, podcast listeners. If you are not yet subscribed to this channel, please go ahead and do so. As always, your comments, your questions are in play, but we do have an agenda. I have questions, so I will get to as many as I can and that we have time for. Let's get to tonight's guest. He is among the most influential figures in the hobby today in his role as the Chief Visionary Officer of Fanatics Collectibles. Let's bring him out. Josh Luber, welcome back to Sports Cards Live. How are you? I am unbelievable. I... I, um... I realize now that uh, you were going to wait for me. You know, you always do your rundown in the beginning. So I figured I actually had some some leeway there. It was showing up at 10.04, and now I showed up. So now it's 10.08, so I, I owe four minutes back to everybody. So I apologize for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. But mm-hmm. I always want to be able to say hi to the guests before we go live. Otherwise, it's like I'm saying hi to you for the first time right now. So uh, this, is, this is like returning. I'm a returning guest. So like, we got this down. You know, like we... We didn't have to have a, a, a warm-up call. We know each other. We've had, you know, it's like old hat. How many yeah. shows have you done, by the way? Well, this is uh, this is 133 of this show. We've done about 60 after hours, about 25 collectible lives. So I'm over 200 now, I guess, all in all. I, I mean, at this point, you know, you're hitting your, your Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. I'm getting, I'm getting there. You're right. I'm, mm-hmm. I am getting there. Well, speaking about the last time you were here, you... Uh, you told me I was. I looked a lot like Doctor Evil. Uh, <laughs> you remember that? The way you the way you cut the the pictures on the thing. Or you do all these headshots as your as your promo things. Yeah. Yeah. How do you want to kick it off this time? Anything you want to throw at me this time? <laughs> well, I don't. That's it. I no. They were good. 
All right. Well, listen, the last time you were on, it was July 10th of last year. And at that time, you right. alluded to the fact that you were working on something in the hobby that the hobby desperately needed. I believe those were your words, something the hobby desperately needed. So, you know, we obviously know what you were hinting at now. Where do you stand on that now? What have you learned about the industry over the last eight months? And do you still feel that what you are doing with the hobby, what you're doing in your role as the chief visionary officer is going to be bringing us something that, that we really need? Um, in July, I remember exactly where I was too when we did that. Um, God, that was, July is, is like lifetimes ago. Um, we've literally launched uh, multiple businesses since then. Um, I left StockX in September of 20 to do two things, to create a trading card brand for culture um, and to go after the primary market for all trading cards um, in order to change the way the trading cards are bought and sold. And interestingly, even though we um, obviously announced the licenses and, and everything with Fanatics and the acquisition of Tops um, in the past couple months, um, the launch of Zero Cool, um, which is obviously a trading card um, brand for culture, um, the, the most interesting thing about that, I think, is actually the mechanism by which we're doing that. And that gets to the different way to buy and sell trading cards, which comes back to the reason, the vision that we have for, for Fanatic collectibles and the business, everything there. So, um, so short answer is yes. And I love that now everything is out in the open. Uh, as far as I know, we don't have any other companies we're starting uh, that, that we're going to announce. And so now we get to start, start to put all these pieces together because they're all very, very much related. And it's all about the future of the hobby, the growth of the hobby, you know, how we evolve this um, for, for the betterment of everyone, but, but how we move forward and get to a place where we can actually grow, but, but not um, get into all the problems that, of growth that we had in the 90s and et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's really about that. So, um, so I, I love that very, very broad and, uh, and big question. Um, and uh, and the answer is yes. And, and now we get to start. Like tr today's truly the start of it. Um, now that everything's out in the open, we're all there. And, and even for the team who's worked so hard to get to launch, and anyone who's launched anything, you know, will tell you, you know, it's it's this amazing release. And yet you finally launch it, and then you wake up the next morning. And it's like, okay, now we got a business to run. Now we got you know whatever to go. And and that that's where we're at today. So are you invigorated by all this? Are you oh. uh, like how how do you feel right now, man? Amazing, amazing. Well, it, I'm also. I'm only about two thirds of the way through my my evening coffee before I start like the second half of my day, so I'm like also slowly getting there as well as um, uh, many people know that I I'm a, a night owl. So, um, but yeah, it's it's such a blast. We do this. The, the feedback has been amazing from from Zero Cool, from V Friends launch, um, from from the people that understand a blind Dutch auction and why it's it's um, valuable. I mean, you know, we'll get into that stuff, but. You know, I'm biased, but but I truly believe that this is like the the best possible way to sell, frankly, anything that that has high demand and low supply. So yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome to have this stuff come to fruition um, and to get out there and and you know, no more secrets. Like, let's get out there and, and start working with everybody and, and grow it. So yeah, right on. I'm I'm happy for you, man. It's uh, it's really cool. It's nice to know that you're you're out you're you're off you're out you're off and running right now and. Uh, you know, you mentioned the response. So let's talk a little bit about the hobby's response to the announcement uh, yesterday. And uh, and now that these that the Blind Dutch auction has been open for bids, 
Um, let's talk about that a little bit. So let's talk about the hobby's response, first of all. So you said it's been very positive. Have you been, have you seen both sides of that yet? Or has it been mostly positive from your perspective? There's always, you know, there's always haters, um, you know, and some of which are just people that want to troll and others, you know, identify, um, you know, real issues that, uh, that come up, which is great, which is why you should always pay attention to all of it, even if you think that, that it is, um, you know, just, you know, quote haters. Um, the, the two most um, prevalent um, negative comments that I've heard, um, this is, in fairness, this is kind of like when you ask somebody like, hey, what's your, uh, you know, what, what's your weakness? And they're like, I'm a perfectionist. This, you know, preface that. But the, the, two, the two biggest negative comments we've heard are, um, by, by far, number one is people are upset that there's a 40 box limit uh, for purchasing it, which there's only 800 boxes total. We are just trying to make it so it could be distributed. But the reality is, is like, if you want to buy more, just create a second account. Like it's not a, it's more of a, a logistic thing than anything else. Um, and then secondly is um, we, we didn't turn on international shipping for this, which, you know, I, I know that Gary's got a lot of fans um, internationally and there's a lot of card collectors, but you know, there's, there's just so many logistics that go into that tariffs and, and taxes and different, you know, uh, currency rates and all that. And, you know, frankly, it's just one of those things that, that we're not there yet. We'll get there really soon. Um, but, you know, those are the only two things. Gary's got, Gary's polarizing. He's got people that like him and dislike him, and, and that's fine. Um, but overall, it's been, it's been really positive, and, and uh, you know, I'm really, really happy with it. That's great, man. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about this then. I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen lots of reaction to it as well. I've seen positive. I, I've seen negative. I want to give you an opportunity. To Sorry, real quick, real quick. And I would, if you have other like legit negative things to address, I'd love to go and, and go after it. We don't have to do it now. We can do it whenever. I, those are the things that are really interesting to explore because they're the ones that open up for me, for the team, for everything else of like how we can improve that stuff. So by all means, happy to hit that later, but sorry, didn't, didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no worries at all. I think one of the one of the questions I've seen people asking is, you know, you're launching the new brand Zero Cool, a subsidiary of, of Fanatics Collectibles, I believe. Yep. And uh, and the choice to go with with the first release being the V Friends, the V Friends cards, which you know it's uh it's not really sports related. So my my question is, did you have sports card collectors in mind when you designed and planned this product, or was it more directed to other collectors? Um, well, I mean, both, um, you know, zero cool is specifically a non-sport brand. Um, but the, the reason for even zero cool's existence, um, is that one, we believe that non-sport cards are, there's just a massive opportunity there. We wouldn't do it if we didn't think that, but also such a huge part of, um, growth of the hobby, it's to be able to, to give customers what they want. I mean, I can't, you know, I can try to convince people that are crypto fans to like sports cards, but they're way more likely to embrace trading cards if I make trading cards for the things that they like. And similarly, you know, I've not been shy about that. I, I've been collecting Kim Kardashian cards. It's way more likely that Kim Kardashian fans are going to be interested in Kim Kardashian cards than trying to convince them to like basketball cards. So, it, you know, it's really just a, a logic in terms of, um, you know, for us growing the hobby. However, as you know, you know, Gary's been very vocal um, for a very long time that he's a sports car collector as well. So, you know, that was intentional as one of the reasons that we chose Be Friends, given that, that Gary is a big sports car collector and has been, you know, obviously very notable in the hobby as well. So those things made sense for us. 
I think a lot of people are under the assumption because the first product launch under the Zero Cool brand is the V Friends, which is which is uh, done after Gary V's NFT project. I think people, I think some people believe that this is going to be like an, an NFT card product or card brand. Do you want to just sort of address that and and talk about what the plans are? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um, absolutely, um, it is not meant to be a, a crypto product. Um, this is about every other part of culture other than sports, which includes music, art, entertainment, fashion, um, architecture, dentistry, like like everything. And um, which is distinct from there have been trading card brands for entertainment before. Rittenhouse makes um, you know traditional IP cards like uh, Star Trek and, and Game of Thrones. Um, Cryptozoic make makes some of that stuff. Um, this is about every aspect of culture. So you will see from us traditional IP like TV and movies. You will see um, uh, you know, things that are more, um, more like pop century that have um, you know, musicians and actors and, and um, uh, fashion designers, et cetera. But um, it happens to be that in the last year, crypto and NFTs specifically have become a very important part of our culture and a very, you know, um, uh, polarizing uh, part of our culture and, and something that a lot of people are talking about. So we thought because of that, it's very much now, of the now, right? It is very much relevant culture more so right now than a lot of things. And so that's why we thought it was a, an interesting thing to launch with. But no, I'm, I mean, I'll tell you right off the bat, the, the next um, full release is a more traditional IP. It's, uh, it's much more, you know, in, in the vein of, of a product that like a Rittenhouse or Cryptozoic might release. Um, and then after that, you know, we'll see um, which ones becomes there. By the way, um, no one has has picked up yet, and we'll start talking about it more. But um, the same day we launched, um, Edison Chen, who is the owner of the streetwear brand Clot, C-O-O-T, who's made, I don't know, probably 20-plus shoes with Nike, um, teased the fact that there's a zero-cool card in his next Nike shoe. Now, it's a single card. It's not a whole whole release. Um, and I've honestly forgot to even mention it on my other interviews. So breaking news uh, live, um, you know, with you, like, how cool is that? I mean, I spent six years at StockX and Campus trying to get Nike to work with us. And on the first day that we launched Zero Cool, we have a, a Nike product that, that's out there. It's a single card of the, the shoe um, in the, 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 I mean, so cool to have it. It's a Zero Cool card. It's a one-off. But um, so, you know, you'll see us doing things like that, right? Nike releases with with important streetwear brands, important part of culture. So, you know, we want to be there and have trading cards as part of that release. So let's talk a little bit about your your thoughts, you know, the strategy behind the first brand released under the Zero Cool, the Zero Cool banner being the the Gary V V friends. And and I wanna, well, I'll let you just talk to the strategy. Then I have I have some follow-up questions, but just the yeah. strategy behind that being the first one. Well, look, in addition to the, the things I noted, obviously, Gary, his inner intersection and NFTs being, um, you know, kind of of now and, and culture um, for those people that have watched the growth of of NFTs and trading cards almost concurrently over the past couple of years. Um, there's been a, a divide about that or the, there's at least a camp that, that there is a divide. Um, and I think it's great that you have Chris and Josh on, you know, soon. I think maybe it was next week that you're having those guys on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm big fans of car ladder. I'm big fans of both of them personally and Christina. And, um, but you know, they've been very outspoken against NFTs. They love to, to, uh, to talk shit about NFTs. 
So great. So here's the trading card. What's the trading card of? I don't know. So now, now you have a physical trading card. You don't like digital. Now you have a physical trading card of, of the same thing. So um, I think there's something really interesting there just about bringing together the physical and digital in a card because um, people have, have spoken, uh, have suggested all like one of the most common suggestions we get is, hey, why don't you do a NFT, a digital card that represents the physical, which, by the way, is exactly what StockX is doing right now with sneakers. They're creating a, a an NFT that represents the physical. So you can buy and sell that NFT. And what you're really doing is it just represents, it's like a claim ticket for the physical sneaker that sits in their vault. Um, we will absolutely do that at some point in, in trading cards. Um, we're not there yet. Tops isn't there yet. Um, but, but those things are very obvious as we move forward. So I, I think that doing the inverse of that, making a physical trading card of the digital NFT is a pretty interesting place to start because this is obviously where these things go. So, you know, what you were mentioning about the NFT representing the card that might be in a vault, that basically the NFT basically in that scenario becomes title to the card. And now you don't necessarily need to arrange for the, for the vault service to switch accounts. The NFT holder has a claim on it. That's right. That. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty. So let's go, let's talk about the, the reverse then. So now we've got these cards that are, you know, they don't represent an NFT, but nope. they are based, they're simply based on an NFT. They're collectible cards based on, in this case, the V Friends uh, characters. Right. One of the things I've been thinking, Josh, is, you know, we'll talk about what these are, what these packs are going to sell for under the Blind Dutch auction, how Blind Dutch auction works and, and why you like that, that method of sale. But I'm trying to think to myself, you know, how are how are these cards going to be valuable in the future especially if they sell for a lot of money right out of the gate what yep. how are they going to be how is value going to be attributed to it so i think of a couple of things it's the first zero cool product that's kind of cool in and of itself yep. it's based on gary these characters which were first seen by the public in nfts that's kind of cool that's a it's a gary v original creation but i I'm taking it a bit of a step further, and this is pure speculation. I just want to get your thoughts on this. In order for these things to really have long-term value, or maybe to exceed the value that that you you guys, Gary V, thinks they could have, what would happen if this IP turned into a serious set of IP? Like there were cartoons and there were movies and maybe a Broadway play or something like that. Is that something that's on your mind? Do you think that's on Gary V's mind when he created this this line of V friends? Yeah, I mean, Gary has stated that publicly, and you know, I you know, having known Gary for many years now, um, you know, look, Gary has a uh, conversational style that often invites criticism because he he's quite you know energetic and and curses a lot, but he's the real deal. He's as legit and as genuine a person as there is, and you know, he speaks all the time about the the characteristics of the the v friends cards about empathy and and support um and um uh compassion and and um uh, honesty and he has said very publicly that his life's work is to create to turn the v friends ip into his star wars into his mickey mouse into his you know harry potter or or, or pokemon and I, I'm certainly not going to bet against them. And so um, I think that, that we will see that, that some of these characters and who knows which ones. I mean, I'm, I'm holding here one of the, the, the box I opened with him. This character is called uh, Level-Headed Level -headed Lizard. Um, I actually uh, was not familiar with this character before I opened it. 
But, you know, this is a one of one that's autographed by Gary of Level Headed Lizard. If this becomes Tom and Jerry, right? If this becomes, you know, uh, like as to your as cartoons of that, yeah, I mean, like this is going to be a super valuable card. Now, I don't know, maybe, you know, there's, there's a, I think there's 250 or so different characters. Maybe Level Headed Lizard doesn't become one of the, the valuable ones and it becomes, you know, one of those uh, um, Warner Brothers characters we never heard of anymore. But like, a hundred percent. And like, I'm betting on, on Gary going to do that and turning it. So hopefully he chooses level-headed lizards to make it a, uh, a valuable one for me. <laughs> right. You got to get who, I don't know who decides, you know, Gary probably decides or him. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. What, what character has the attributes that the public is going to fall in love with. And yeah, that, that might be the one that, uh, that, that, is, that becomes the, you know, the, the, the most important character from the whole set. So totally, you, you never really know, I guess we'll find out eventually um let's talk about the packaging i know in prepping for this uh that i was told that the packaging was sort of meant to be collectible as well can you speak to that yeah um you know there um first of all it should be noted that the our cards were printed uh packed out and and the packaging built by um uh, uh manufacturers that do work for panini and upper deck and and um tops you know there's only a handful of companies that do that work um, in the United States. And so we, um, you know, we get to work with the, the best of the best, just like everyone else, which was great. Um, you know, in full transparency, we wanted this set to come out, um, uh, a little bit earlier than it did, but you know, they're doing work for all the other companies as well. So we had to get in line and, and find our time. Um, one of the, the, I think defining attributes of zero cool will be collectible packaging. Um, it's not hard to do. Um, it, but it, it takes focus on it. And particularly while we are still small, you know, Tops and Panini, um, I, I think Tops released a hundred and I think this is the right number, 127 different sets last year. Right. Which is crazy. Right. And like, if you're doing 120 sets, then, you know, you're in scale mode and, and you can't make every package collectible and you can't, you know, like, and that's okay. Right. And that, that's the business that they're in. So while we are still small, while we are still doing, um, you know, each set with a real focus on its long-term value. Um, I want to be able to, to make collectible packaging. There's obviously, I, you know, I'm, I have a history in, in the sneaker and, and uh, streetwear industry with StockX. I mean, it's so, it's such an easy way to add real great value and, and distinguish things. Some of the packaging for sneakers that Nike and Adidas have done, it's unbelievable. It's extraordinary. People keep the boxes and, and the version that with the special packaging sells for, you know, three, four, five X, what, what the normal one does. And it's just cool and fun to, to keep around. I've seen people, I myself do it where I'll have like prison boxes that I'll keep, you know, stacked up and that's just paper. So, um, the V friends box is, uh, is meant to be collectible. It's, you know, it's really nice quality, uh, wood box that opens up and, um, you know, slide and, you know, hopefully, you know, people keep it and, um, we are actually thinking we have some extras that um, we might have Gary sign and maybe we'll bring with us to to give away at Min or the National or, or somewhere else. Because it also, when you create high quality boxes, it lends itself to things like having Gary sign it or, you know, having additional things on, on top of it. So Yeah, definitely, definitely. What, I mean, speculate here for me for a second. What percentage of the 800 packs or boxes do you think are going to be, uh, un remain sealed and, and unopened? Mm. That's a good question. I would bet that, um, I don't know, I, I really have no reason to come up with a number other than, let's say, a quarter. 
um, you know, about maybe about a quarter of the boxes end up people that just put it away thinking, hey, for a zero cool release ever, and to your point, um, betting long term on V Friends as IP, that it's worth it to just put it away and uh, and so on. Hey, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, my personal plan is that I'm uh, trying to buy two cases, and um, uh, there's four boxes in a case, so I'm trying to buy eight boxes, um, four. So uh, that's two cases and one to open and one to 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 stick away. What did? How much did you bid? Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that. But I. I am also expecting, um, uh, in full transparency, because uh, we put this on the site. Um, so there's a thousand total boxes. Two hundred we've done for seating, and as uh, as chief vision officer and and creator of Zero Cool, um, I've seated myself one case, and I'm trying to buy the other. And uh, and I, so if 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 I'm I'm if I'm successful enough, I I uh, I don't know what the clearing price is because I'm trying to buy it. So. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Mm -hmm. um, how has the response been so far? Is as far as bids coming in, like if there's that that I know that so, I know. Yeah. So if, I, if, I can. If there's eight hundred boxes available for sale, that's not yeah. very many, man. I'm sure there's people no. who would buy them all up if they if they could. Um, are they all spoken for already? Like, are there enough bids in already? Well, no. So the the nature of the blind Dutch auction um, is such, and 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 this number I know. Um, so. Um, you know, we're obviously live right now, um, right in the middle of it. Um, so it's, it's, what are we, it's, uh, Wednesday, right? So, um, the, the auction ends in about 12 hours. No, um, in about, uh, in 21 hours, uh, 21 and a half, excuse yeah. me. Um, nine, no, it ends at 9 PM Eastern. So what is there that? You go. 21, it ends in 21 and a half hours. Right 21. And, oh yeah. We could have just gone to the site. Duh, thank you. Um, so um, by last count, a couple hours ago, there were about 15,000 bids um, so far. Now, we don't know um, if, if the people that are going to win have bid because it's a, the nature of the blind Dutch auction is the top 800 bids win. So those 15,000 bids could all be, you know, 50 bucks or something. And, you know, my gut is that the claim price just based on, you know, nothing other than, than a guess. My guess is the clearing price is going to be somewhere between one to $2,000. Could be more, could end up being less. It's, it's purely just a function of the bids. If the top 800, if the 800th highest bid is 500 bucks, the clearing price is 500 bucks and everybody pays $500, even if that top bid was $10,000 or, or something like that. Um, but if the, if the 800th bid is, is $1,000 and the clearing price is $1,000, you know, that, that's how it works. So we don't know, you know, where it's going to be or if the winners have already bid. Um, and usually at every, um, uh, every blind Dutch auction that we had done at StockX and before, you get most of the bids that happen right at launch and then in the last, like, you know, hour or two. Um, we'll see how, if that plays out the same, but I do expect to get a lot of bids in the last couple hours. But you have enough bids so far to sell them all. Yeah, well yeah, uh, for sure, right? Um, absolutely. Um, there's there's well more than eight hundred. So if whatever the clearing price would be at that amount, yeah, we would sell. Awesome, awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, why do you love the blind Dutch auction so much? So first of all, we didn't make this up. Um, you know, we we spent literally years at StockX talking to economists, um, talking to professors, studying markets, trying to figure out what is a fair way to release products that have way more demand than supply. Um, you know, the, the obviousness of the, um, call it just insanity of how some sneakers are released and how some of the, the cards have been released at places like Target, you know, over the years, 
is obvious, right? Like it is completely illogical to sell a $50 widget for $10. Like who's not going to buy this, whatever it is, it's worth $50, but I'm selling it for $10. It's so free money that's sitting on the shelves at Target, at Foot Locker, at, at, at Nike stores. Like that is completely illogical, but it's a function of that these products have, they are consumer products by nature. They've gone through the supply chain and the distribution model by, because of what it is, but because of the disparity between supply and demand, the market says it's worth more. When you're in that situation, um, the, the targets of the world, the footlock of the world, don't have the mechanisms to, to change that, to, to, to make the system fair for how they distribute it, other than just whoever shows up and gets it or a raffle, et cetera. They don't have a method to change pricing. But on the internet, we do. Um, you know, in the actual uh, um, uh, um, uh, markets, um, you know, oil and gas and, and um, the um, commodities. Toy yeah, in the commodities markets, we do. We have ways to change that. And a blind attraction is, is one of those mechanisms. It's the one that we have decided that we think is the best way to do that. It creates, it creates a, what we think is a, a truly fair system. And there's three reasons why. So first of all, everybody pays the same amount. So that's really important, right? We're selling this, this asset, this widget, this box of cards. We're selling all 800 at the exact paid amount. Market, this did, did I lose you? You still I'm, there? I'm I'm here. I lost you for a minute there, but you're back. Okay, you got number one. So number one is everybody pays the same amount. Number two, the in this case eight hundred, but the the people who bid the most get the product. So that's just a. a a system of fairness. People who are willing to pay the most get the product, right? Um, and number three, nobody can argue that that's not a fair market price because everybody is willing to, to pay at least that amount, that clearing price. In this case, you know, let's just say, let's just say that the the clearing price of the the eight hundredth highest bid was five hundred dollars. Everybody was willing to pay at least five hundred dollars. So no one can argue that's not fair to pay that. But on top of that, there's sort of this bonus that happens by the nature of the Dutch auction by setting a clearing price down, which is that almost everybody gets a product for less than what they bid. So everybody's happy. Like you can't, you can't not be happy that you were willing to pay $1,000, but you got it for $500. And because there's 800 units for vFriends, the number will probably be somewhere about 97 or 98% of the people get the product for less than what they bid. So it's a win-win-win. They get it for less than what the, they wanted to pay. Everybody pays the same. And it's a fair market price. It's not an arbitrary retail price. This is a mechanism to let the market set the price, and that's the most important part of this. So, as a as a potential customer, I can go in and I can put in a couple of bids. I, I might I could throw in a bid for say three hundred dollars, hoping that that gets me in. That might be my max budget. Or if I want to guarantee I'm going to get a box, I might want to throw in a bid of ten thousand dollars. But if seven hundred ninety nine other people also bid ten thousand or more, that's what we're all paying, right? That's a, so very, very good point. And we saw this, the very first uh, IPO, the very first blind auction we did at StockX, we weren't using credit card holds. And three people bid a million dollars for a pair of slides that were, you know, like hundred hour slides because they understood how it worked and they were betting because there were a couple thousand of them. They were betting that, but if everyone had bid a million dollars, we would have had a problem because we weren't going to try to charge people a million dollars for a pair of slides. Now we use credit card holds 
um, for a number of reasons, but it also um, it makes sure that we don't have that problem as well. I mean, there's a lot of people that have pretty high limits on their credit card, but same thing. Um, if 800 uh, people all bid $10,000, then that's what the price will go for. Yeah. Okay. So, so what, what's the best strategy then really? It's truly just to, what are you, what are you willing to pay for it? And that's also why it's, it's a blind Dutch auction. There's no FOMO. There's no like price declining. You got to try to beat somebody or beat a clock or, or it's just like, what are you actually willing to pay for it? The, the whole concept here is to try to try to find a mechanism that gets to what is the fair market price at that given time. So it really just is, is what are you, what are you willing to pay? And yeah. if the product goes more then you know, and your credit card isn't charged if, uh, if, you know, if, if the, um, if the dollar is more and you're, if you win, you, you'll pay either what you bid or more likely you'll actually get it for less than what you're willing to pay. Right. I, I bought one thing from the, from a stock X blind Dutch auction, uh, way back. And I, I was able to purchase a pack. It was that tops, uh, Bowman Bowman Chrome X. the green Chrome mm -hmm. that you did. Yeah. Yeah. I Bowman Chrome X, which like shout out to tops and, and David Liner and, and, and clay and the guys who were there who were willing to try something different back then. It's the only other time a, a trading card has been sold using a true blind Dutch auction. Um, the product was okay. Like we recognized it, was, you know, they were all numbered to 31. There were no autos. There were only three hits in there. Um, Vlad, Tatis and, and Alonzo, but, I think it got to a fair price. I think the, the product ended up being about, I want to say maybe a hundred dollars a box is what the clearing price was at or something. So not a thousand dollar product, but that's okay. The market price was about a hundred bucks. So it was a, a fair process. Is that your recollection of it? Were you disappointed with the product? Were you happy with how it played out? Like what was your recollection of it? Yeah, I thought, I thought the, the, I thought the blind Dutch auction worked well. I, I don't remember what I ended up paying somewhere between one and $200. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it was fine. I, I don't remember what I got, but uh, but it was it's a while ago already. Actually, it's a couple of years ago now. It was Let, it was October yeah. of nineteen. There you go. Let's take a minute. Let's show everybody what we're talking about here. What these what this packaging and car and these V Friends cards look like. So I'm just going to share the screen here. So this is this is the packaging. What is this, Josh? Is this a box? Is this a box that has packs in it? Describe the the format. Yep. So you know this is. Natural Treasures flawless type of, of uh, uh, quality and design. One box, one pack, 10 cards in a pack. Um, it happens to be that this promotional photo is showing five of the 10 cards uh, that you might get. Um, and, you know, like, um, you know, those uh, products, you know, you'll have a mix of, of different um, scarcity and hits in there. Um, you know, you'll have some base cards, you'll have some lower numbered. In general, and the full checklist is, is on the, the site, zerocool.com, but there are cards numbered to eight, numbered to five, numbered to two, and one of ones. Okay, that's pretty cool. So let's have a look at some. I got some more pictures here. We've got, so uh, what is this? I was confused by this Toronto and St. Louis. Do you know what the, what the theme here is besides Toronto and St. Louis, why they're <laughs> on this card together? I actually have no idea. I, I was not familiar with this particular V-Friend. Um, again, there's about 250, I think, different V-Friends. Um, I own a couple, I, and I did not know this one. So, okay. There you go. We've got the no, no, no notorious. So let me stop real quick. This is one of the 15 hand-drawn sketches in the product that you can pull. So I, I think these are going to be the most valuable, the, the highest scarcity. 
there's um, there's I think 250 uh, autograph cards, and then there's 15 hand drawn sketches. This is is one of them that then went went into the um, you know, into the the sorting. Okay. Um, a lot oh, of people a lot of people like this V friend, um, the macro micro uh, guy. I don't see a guy on there. Is there? Is or, there a... or or yeah, it's the it's just the the word macro. It's yeah. It's the macro micro card. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and then we've got, see, this guy's kind of cute, right? The adaptable alien. Yep. Yep. And we've and, got the. Yeah. Go yeah. So this guy, uh, Canon Clownfish, I think is, is a pretty well-known uh, V friend. Um, it should be noted that this is all V friends V one, um, which came out last year. Uh, v friends V two, um, Gary just started talking about and comes out. I want to say in either April or May, and all of the characters are going from these were all his hand drawn sketches um, to a call it a more professional looking um, animated character. So the V two, which will come out, um, you know, which will come out soon, you'll see sort of an elevated, um, you know, imagery of, of all the characters. Yeah, he's he's teased that. I've seen a couple of them. They are much more uh, advanced looking than than these guys. This guy here kind of just reminds me of Nemo. I don't know if I'm alone in that, but oh, hundred uh, percent, I see that. Of course, of course, with young kids, that's what I see. And then we've got the very, 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 very lucky black cat. Anything special about this one? So this is one of the ones. It's a printed character, but that's a uh, hand autographed uh, version there for Gary. And I mean, his autographs do all right on the uh, in, in other products he's been in, like Ginter and yep. that. So I saw in the comments someone said Toronto, St. Louis being Blue Jays and Cardinals. So that that does uh, that does make sense. Got it. Birds, right? Okay. Yep. Awesome. So listen, you mentioned uh, just sort of as an aside earlier that you know you had to release these a little bit later than you wanted to because of printing backlog and competing for space with with uh, Upper Deck and Panini and Tops and Leaf, I'm sure. So my, I, I want a, a bit of an off-topic question, but now that you have acquired Tops or Fanatics Collectibles has acquired Tops, and you know what 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 do you guys have planned or what are, what's the strategy moving forward to actually being able to, to, to access capacity at printing facilities? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, almost, um, you know, issue number one. Um, now, look, it's only been about two months since we acquired Tops, um, you know, Tops is still running basically as is. Um, those guys have been doing a phenomenal job. You know, the fact that the whole industry grew and Tops is grew, uh, grew as much as it did with, you know, the team that it did and, and just doing that is really, I mean, those guys did a phenomenal job. And so we're just slowly working with them to integrate into the business. Um, you know, we already had a, a, a really great team. Um, they have 350 people. And one of those topics is, you know, how do we resolve uh, production? The, um, it, it just as an FYI, because I think it's super interesting, I didn't really know this until I got onto this side of the, um, the business. It's actually not the printers and printing cards that's an issue. It's the sorting. So though you can print as many cards as you want, but the way that, that parallels and autographs and rare cards get into packs at certain intervals so that there's only, you know, two autographs per box or whatever it is, is these algorithmic sorting machines that um, almost look like, um, I don't know, milk cartons or something that sit above conveyor belts and drop cards down at a certain rate. And it's all algorithmically um, uh, programmed. And so it's, that is the, the bottleneck in the industry. 
but the printing companies and you know there's about a half a dozen or so um they're they've all been investing in more sorting machines etc and so my gut is that we have maybe another i don't know six to twelve months of printing capacity issues before um it all sort of gets sorted out in the industry and we don't have that issue um, and so that that's been the bottleneck as the industry grew really fast and you had these very specialized machines that enables it because the flip side is we could print a whole product that's all base cards but I don't think anybody wants that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, okay, let's go back to now uh, to the the cost of the boxes of the V friends because I see some people are guessing in the chat what they're going to sell for. And I was talking to uh, to someone else earlier, Mike Geo. I was talking to him earlier today, and uh, he told me that they had you know him and a couple of buddies they had a bit of a pool what these things would, would would end up clearing what the clearing price would be. So I think it's okay by him if I if I if I share what what he told me his guess was. So totally first. So, you know, Yamwax in the crowd, he says, let's guess on the settle price. He's guessing $1,050 a box. Uh, Corey Carr is coming in at $2,500 to $3,000. That's kind of more where, where I'm at. Tom Bullard's at $2,500. And there, I saw another comment uh, basically saying, uh, no, Yamwax is going to be a lot higher than $1,000. I know Mike Geo, uh, his, his guess was $2,000. So you said between one and two. Just, you know, when I think about how limited these things really are and how right. many you know, Gary's network and, and friends and people who are going to buy this because it's Gary. I mean, 2000 seems like it's not like low to me now. What do you, like, I, no. I know. And, and now like, now that we're talking through it now, that actually you're probably right. Gary, I mean, I don't like, I, I, I don't want to artificially influence it. I really don't know yeah. like where it's at or where it's going to be. So I don't want to say, but you make a good point. Like, 800 is really, really, I mean, Gary has what, 10 million Instagram followers, like at least that many on every other platform. So, yeah, I think yeah. a big, I, so, and, and I also don't know the answer to this right now. I think a big open question is going to be, will hobby shops, distributors, the blowout and David Adams of the world, if any of those guys get in and want to try to take a big position of the 800, I think that might also artificially influence, I don't say artificially, that might influence um, where the price ends up at or whether it just becomes a, um, you know, call it like a, a consumer only product. I, I don't know. Okay. Let's look at a couple more guesses here. Uh, Richard says 5,000. Sports Card Stallion is 1,500 to two. Jeremy from Collector's League is 6,000. Joseph's at 3,750. Uh, yeah. And Brendan says almost an ounce of gold. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, the the one thing I will say, and I don't I don't want to depress the price either, is I try to look at it as a comparison. Like, and I kind of always use um, 2018 Prism uh, right these days as like my like anchor. So 2018 Prism hobby boxes are still around like four thousand a box, about. So that you know, I kind of was like, do I think it's going to be more or less than that? Would I rather have that or a box of V friends? Like, you know, I I do that with a lot of products, you know, but I, I tend to use um 2018 prism as my like measuring stick for wax well let's look at what carvin says because he, he knows a thing or two about about this market he says the floor of a v friend nft is forty thousand dollars 5k is a drop in the bucket for the nft holders so, so that's it that's a good perspective too for sure that's it good is, it is it is yeah. i wanted to ask you again so we're going to switch gears a lot here i think i wanted to ask you you know you're doing this product by blind dutch auction makes sense to me on such a limited edition product to what extent 
are you going to implement that method in tops products moving forward yeah um the answer is that it is absolutely part of the strategy um we don't yet know um how much which products when etc i mean that that's part of the the discussions and the work going on right now to understand that also to you know educate the the top leaders about that and let them you know make the decision and how it works in with the rest of their uh with the rest of their plans as well um so the answer is yes um but we don't really know much more it's also worth noting there are other mechanisms to create market-based pricing to create equitable forms of release um other than just a blind dutch auction so for example and i've, I've said this before um I could see us creating a product or, or releasing a product as a break, where the only way it's available is as a break by us or by a, a breaking partner that we work with, because that's just another way to distribute a product fairly using a market price and, and to do that. So, um, you know, you could also, you know, auctions are good if you want to maximize price. So maybe there's some very, very rare cards uh, or product that makes more sense to do as an auction because they're so limited and what we want to do is act and, and often that stuff you know, at StockX we used to do that as for charity where you try to maximize the release there was only one of whatever so look there's a lot of different ways to release it and you know all of that is going and the end goal by the way is a holistic distribution and pricing strategy that enables so that you can have products that sit on the shelves of retail at their real value. If a, if a $20 blaster box is on the shelf at Target and it's worth $20, then it'll sit there until somebody who values it, like it, there's not free money sitting on the shelf and you don't have this artificial craziness that goes on so that a kid who wants to buy a $20 box of cards can go buy a $20 box of cards. Like that's really the goal, but it only works as a holistic strategy across all of it that the stuff is really valuable gets priced at a fair price for that. Uh, basically by price point right like the right the right. the the very loyal and traditional collectors of tops flagship every year they're they're not going to want to buy tops flagship by blind dutch auction i don't think i think they're going to want to go to their, their retailer or their or their lcs and buy it there so yeah you, you're going to save you're going to save the blind dutch auction format for more limited edition for higher end stuff is that uh, fair to say yeah, and I would even go so far as to say that a really good shorthand is if you have to ask the question, what is this worth? Those are the things that lend itself to blind Dutch auction or other forms of market-based pricing. We just went through, I mean, what was the range there from 1,000 to 6,000 or so? We're all wondering yeah. what this is going to be worth. Like this is the exact type of product that you want to use in blind Dutch auction for. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Let, let me ask you this then now, Josh, um, you know, and I'm going to go away from vFriends for a sec, but I do have more questions on it uh, to come back to, you know, obviously um, a lot, there's so much speculation as to what Fanatics is going to be bringing to the industry, you know, and a lot of it circles around the, the distribute, the chain of distribution. Totally. Are, you are you able to share anything with us? And I know I'm going to put you on the spot, but you know, okay. you only know what you know right now and where you guys are at and what you're able to say. But, you know, I'm just going to hone in on, I guess, three of the major stakeholders in our hobby right now, distributors, LCSs and breakers. 
of course, collectors are the most important, but they're not part of distribution until secondary markets. So I'm not raising yep. them right now. But <clears throat> what can you tell us, if anything, about plans for distributors, LCSs, and breakers? Yeah. Um, this is the most important question we'll talk about today, for sure. Um, and just as an FYI, I just realized my phone's about to die. So what I'll do is I'll answer this question. I know you do a segment where you like to um, identify and, and uh, call out a lot of people that are on. So I'll switch to my computer after I ask this question, and then I'll come back on and, and uh, we'll keep going. Um, so um, so uh, three parts, right? Distributors, uh, card shops, and breakers. Um, for sure, all three of those groups will still continue to be part of the hobby for long term. Um, hobby shops, frankly, are, they're the most important, um, to, and they've always been the most important. That hasn't changed with us. Um, it's always been the a touch point for the customer, the place where you can learn, the place that where, where you know it's the, the greatest opportunity to to come into the hobby. Um, distributors um, and breakers um, who buy direct from the card manufacturers today, um, all of that is uh, on one hand up in the air to figure out how that evolves, but those functions still have to exist. The cards still have to move through there. Um, we're never going to have everything 100% go direct to consumer, and we're never going to have um, 100% where we go direct to hobby shops either. Like distributors have to continue to exist, um, and and breakers are are uh, uh, kind of similar to hobby shops, and they become almost more important, um, or they have increased in importance. I don't want to say more important, increase in importance, they, as they also are a way to bring in new people to the hobby. All of this goes to that same point I mentioned earlier, which is how do we grow the hobby? How do we bring more people in? How do we keep those people in there, create that experience for them? And so because of that, and this dovetails with, um, with another related topic, which is we will continue to create technology, not only for direct-to-consumer, but in order to keep those people in, in the hobby, in order to make it easy for them to do the things that they want to do. So if that means that we then use that technology as a way to distribute product to hobby shops or distributors or breakers, so be it. We could, for example, run a blind Dutch auction where the only people that can participate are hobby shops. And it's just a mechanism of distribution to them and the, it's a, a pricing to them, but they're the only ones that can participate or breakers or distributors or, or whomever. So these things are actually interrelated. They're not, it's not like, Blind Dutch auction is just for direct releases and distribute. Like all of this go that goes together as we figure out what is that right holistic strategy. Because look, if we do this right, if the hobby shops and the distributors and the breakers, you know, also all embrace technology, you know, embrace bringing in new customers, this whole thing is 10x, 20x where we're at today. It's so small how many people actually collect cards right now compared to the number of sports fans, the number of culture like collector. Like it's so small. So that's, that's the goal. Um, you know, there's no, uh, there's no magic bullet on that one. Like we have to work through all of that and, and figure it out. Yeah, for sure. Let me, okay. Before you go chain, before you have to go to your computer, um, I, I hear, I hear some LCS owners who don't get allocation. They're very frustrated with the current, uh, the, the, the current system because they can't get product. Um, is it, are you, is fanatics going to make, going to attempt to make that easier for LCSs? to get product? Um, it's actually a broader conversation than that, which is, um, uh, so there was, um, so Tops has a annual industry conference 
um, where it's, it's breakers, distributors, hobby shops, et cetera. Um, it was last week, it was in Arizona and, um, and I was, I was there with them. Um, and you know, they told everybody that they're working on a, uh, a broader hobby shop, uh, program. And, um, and that's right. And we're going to work with them to figure out, cause it's not just about allocation. That's one part of it. And the, who gets allocation, how, when, why, all of that should be more clear and it will be more clear. Um, and there will be a better system for it. But it's also about things like sharing data back and forth. Or maybe there's uh, a place where there's co-op dollars and marketing dollars that we actually help market local shops. Or, you know, we now have the, the leagues and the players associations as equity partners in our business. So if you're a local hobby shop in D.C., well, then maybe we tap the players association and have nationals players available to come do breaks at your store or, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of ways that we can work with them. So there needs to be a broader hobby shop program, just generally an allocation will be part of that and it will get clearer and, and, and more at the very least, everyone will have a, a fair opportunity to at least state their case, you know, understand why they get product and why they don't. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense to me. Hmm? I, I've also heard, you know, rumblings or speculation that Fanatics is going to open up a chain of Fanatics sports card stores. Is there is there a strategy there uh, that, that we're going to learn about in the in the future? There is um, nothing that that is uh, imminent. Um, I certainly have no uh, news coming soon that we're going to do that. Um, Fanatics uh, has local shops in arenas where they sell product and they do sell trading cards at some of them. Um, Fanatics runs the NBA store. Um, we want trading cards to be everywhere. Um, I don't think that uh, right now that that's uh, anywhere near the highest priority for us to do. Um, but you know who knows? You know, as, as we go on, you know, like we want trading cards to be everywhere. Um, whether and by the way, there's there's Fanatics and there's Fanatics Collectibles, which are our two separate companies. Obviously, we're very much you know we're majority owned by Fanatics. But like all like the those stores in, in the arenas are run by Fanatics, the the commerce company, which is separate from us. So, um, you know, all of these things we're we're working through. But I can promise you, there's no like, you know, next week all of a sudden we're going to announce, uh, you know, franchises of Fanatics hobby shops. Like that's that's not a, a priority for us. Okay, how's your how's your how's your phone battery? We're like I'm I'm really close to to dying, so it's a good time for for me to switch. Okay, I'll I'll let you go temporarily. You will be. I'll back. be right back. I'll right be right back. back. All right. All right. Let's let uh, let's let him go. And uh, Josh, we'll see you back here momentarily. I'm going to just go through some comments with you guys while we wait for him to come back. I got more questions for him, of course. Let's see what Carbon says. He says, all parts of the ecosystem are important. It's what you provide for other partners of the food chain that will be important. We all need to work together to promote the hobby all as partners. Yeah, that's a, that's a good comment. Oh, that was fast. And you're back. Holy. Technology is great. Very good. Different, different view now. Everyone's getting yeah. a different, different view of my, my uh, toy toy shelf. I like that. I like this view better. I like seeing all those toys. Nice, nice stuff. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to roll right into my next question. Speculation. The hobby is speculating that, that fanatics collectibles or, or, or some related entity is going to um, bring grading of cards in house, maybe acquire an exit. You guys acquired a, an existing card company. Are you going to acquire an existing grading company? Um, that is a very much a, a TBD. I, I really don't know. Um, this gets to the, the larger um, point around the, the integrated customer experience. Um, we have to, I mean, it's our, it's our opportunity, it's our obligation to create the foundation 
of a, a technology platform that the customer can do everything they want to do on it. Learn about cards, buy cards, open cards, have them broken, have them sent for grading, have them vaulted, insurance, storage. Um, you know, Michael Rubin was on, I forget it was CNBC or somewhere, and he made a comment um, in uh, it, it addressing all these different parts. And people took that as the Fanatics is going to go do every one of those. And that's not the case. His point is that the customer needs to be able to do all those things and do it easy. And so it's we have to figure out how to do that. It means we could partner. It means we could buy a grading company. We could start our own. I don't know. All those are, are possibilities. But for sure, the customer wants to do that. And the only way we grow this hobby is by creating technology that allows people to come in easy, do the things they want to do easy, reduce that friction. So that that's part of it. But, you know, right now the priority is like get up and running, tops integrated in supply chain issues, make cards, launch zero cool. Like that's the priority. Um, and then what you'll probably see as the next highest priority for us will be um, working with breakers. And whether that is we create our own breaking, uh, we work with other breakers, we, you know, because that's if you just think if you go down the line of what a customer is doing with that box right after they buy it, the next question is, do I open it? Or do I have someone else open it for me? I break it, um, you know, or do I, you know, uh, store it? So that's kind of how we think about this, like as, as we're moving through that customer journey. Yeah, no, fair. I, there's still lots to be determined, as uh, totally. which obviously makes makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, I wanted to talk about transparency. There's a big, you know, collectors, myself included. We want to know what what exists. We want to know what is out there. You know, it's some cards come with serial numbers on them some cards don't it would be nice if, if you just knew sometimes you you get you get pack odds sometimes you don't what is how important is transparency in in the in the not just for you josh and and in your role with fanatics collectibles but i want you to speak to that of course but how important is transparency in our hobby overall from your perspective and then hone in on on um the you know how you what your vision is for what i alluded to just now in terms of knowing how many how many cards are out there for you know common player even in a flagship type product yeah transparency i mean it's everything i have this idea and i have no idea if it's possible but i have this idea that we can get to a place where we release the production runs of every single product that's made whether it's top series one or whether it's v friends like at, at every level. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons of why that's not done. Um, but I think that the hobby, the industry, the market is um, mature enough uh, collect, uh, collectively to take in that information and deal with it appropriately. I think everybody probably gets sticker shock the, the first time that happens. And we learn that, the, and I, by the way, I don't actually even know what the production runs are or some of this stuff, but you know, what's Panini Prism? It, it, it's 10 million cards or something. I'm making up number, right? I think everybody probably gets sticker shocked the first time, but I just think markets are are, are smart. Markets are, and, and we're mature enough as an industry to be able to handle that. And the flip side of it is like, everybody should have as much information as they, as they can. This, this is, these are true investable assets. Like it, it's not a joke, right? People are spending a lot of money on this stuff. So you should have as much transparency as you would have. You know, every share of stock that's been issued of every public company, you know, the complete market cap, you know, every share that's been issued, like all, all that stuff is important to know so that you get to a true market price and it's a fair system and, and there's none of that nonsense. So 
you know, that's my position on it. And I'm certainly going to try to make that happen. Um, you know, I, I can't promise that it will, but you know, I, it'll be a long time. I think before you see a zero cool product that, um, you know, it doesn't have a, uh, put that we have, you know, full transparency of the full checklist of full production run for uh, free V friends on zero cool.com. I, you know, I, you really showed that when you told us earlier that you did, you know, you self-allocated a, a box of the product. Um, so there's a thousand, so we're, I'm talking about zero, about VFriends zero cool product right now. There's a thousand boxes produced, 200 were set aside for promo and, and replacement or what have you. Yep. Um, and 800 are available to the public. I mean, that, that it's just such a, it's such a small amount uh, every time I come back to it. Do you see the same sort of ratio in other products as well? Like, did you over hold back this one because it's the first one and it's, you know, you wanted to get the word out and promo packs and, and things like that? Like, you guys it's sent a, one to me. Unfortunately, it didn't get here in time for me to show it right now. I went to, I went to see if, I, if it was here today and it wasn't. So I'm, I'm upset by that. But I'll, uh, Canadian, I'll, I'll, Canadian Post is rough, man. Exactly. Like, that's just, yeah. Um, no, um, that that percentage it would be crazy on a on a big run, but I I think the number is is probably about right. You know, maybe it's a hundred, two hundred boxes that end up for promotion, and and um, we we'll have to figure out. You know, tops probably I'm sure they know this way better than we do in terms of how much needs to get held back for you know replacement damage, you know that sort of stuff. So um, so that that's part of it. Um, but no, for this one, um, it was really as simple. And again, like full transparency, here, it was really as simple as. Um, Gary and I both said, Hey, let's each take a hundred boxes for our seating, our teams, you know, and, um, uh, and, and just, just to hold back. And it's that, and, um, if there are, you know, if there's a bunch of extra after that, like it'll get put away for an archive or, or something like that. Like, we're not going to re-release it. We're not going to, you know, put it back into the market. Like it's, um, it's meant there's 800 being sold and, and that's it. Right on. Okay. Uh, back, back to the greater hobby for a second and fanatic strategy. So you guys. I've been using the word, I don't know if it's the right word, but I've been using the word uh, when fanatics hijack the licenses for, for, for the, for, you know, football, baseball, basketball. Um, what about hockey? You know, I, I'm a hockey collector. I collect everything, but I collect hockey too. Um, where are you, where, what, what are your thoughts on hockey right now, as far as your business goes? Well, look, the, the tread, um, tread lightly here. I have a soft spot for hockey. The, the NHL uh, re-signed with Upper Deck. Um, I forget exactly when, but it was in the past, you know, it was in the past year. Um, so the NHL re-signed with Upper Deck. They've been with them for a long time. So, you know, that that's the way it is. Um, you know, we're, there's the opportunity for us in acquiring, I'm not going to use the word you use, in, in acquiring baseball, basketball, <laughs> and football, um, was that the licenses were going to expire shortly. So, you know, we didn't, um, we, we can't take over the license. We can only just get from when the current ones expires. And that's what we did. We then acquired tops in order to get into baseball sooner. Um, but, you know, for hockey, I, I, I forget how long they re-signed that deal for, but, you know, it won't be up until then. And as it gets closer to ex, uh, expiration, we would an, um, analyze that like we would any potential, um, you know, because Tops also has F1 and, and UEFA and Bundesliga. And, and so, yeah, um, it, it's not on there. Oh, separately, um, you know, Upper Deck has some really great brands that they, you know, for, for basketball and, and football that they've had over the years. So I don't know, like maybe there's an opportunity to actually work with Upper Deck. Um, and um, and so we can all leverage all the great brands, um, you know. That's my that's my hope that there's a business deal somewhere in there, um, uh, you know, 
we're now off the top of hockey. My my apologies, but there hasn't been a Michael Jordan basketball card in a set in a very long time. Like, I don't know. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. if those are some of the things that, that we can reconcile without having to to buy Upper Deck or or, or get the hockey license. Well, I guess if you're going to do anything with Upper Deck, uh, you know, maybe you'd be able. Maybe you'd do some hockey too. I guess time time would tell. Well, sorry, I, but I will say because one of the things I think is really interesting as we. So like I kind of look at it as there's like four major sports, baseball, basketball, football, and culture, and not to not to downplay F1 and some of the other brands. Um, but what if we um, we start create we could start creating crossover product? Like maybe we have a set that's a it's a Toronto set, and it's all interesting people from Toronto, and it's you know Vince Carter and and Tracy McGrady and uh, you know Demar Derozan and um, and Drake and um, I don't actually know any Toronto hockey players, but um, what, you know, so like, but, but that concept. And so like, maybe, I don't know, maybe those are our, our joint projects that we can do with Upper Deck and Panini and, and do that. Like that kind of stuff is, is interesting. And, and as we think about how we expand the hobby, it can't just be make the exact same product, you know, 50 times or, or whatever it is. Like we have to start getting creative on that. And so maybe there's a way to work with, with Upper Deck and hockey on that. Switching it up again, Tops now. So you guys acquired Tops. That was announced early January, like I think the first business day of the year. Um, right. You know, how long did it take for after the announcement? Obviously, you did your due diligence uh, and all that. So, you know, how long did that deal take to get done? And, and were you in there talking to their people, their key people, and trying to see what 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 the company was like on the inside? Really try to get, you know, it's one thing from the outside for all of us collectors, but to really get in there and, and look at what the guts of this company are, how, you know, did you get in there? How long did it take? Speak a bit about getting that deal done. Yeah. So that is a, as a Michael Rubin uh, question, that's what well, he does. You, and and just, that's what he, he want me to just call him. And get we, can him just fa- we can FaceTime him in and see if he, yeah. He, yeah. Um, no, look, that's what, uh, that's what he does. And he does very, very well. Um, and so, no, that, that was very much um, him. I've known the top guys for a while, um, but it, you know, that's, um, when you get it at that level, it, it's Michael, you know, he's talking to Michael Eisner and, and the company, um, Madison Dearborn, the, excuse me, the, uh, the company that, um, that owned them. So, you know, it, that was, um, that, but I will say what was most important, I think is, um, from the very first conversations with MLB and the MLB players association was the, um, very strong, just, uh, belief from everybody or, or desire that, baseball stays with tops tops baseball has been on top since 1952 tops is baseball and um it was always the goal to um either acquire tops license the brand um do something it was never the goal to move baseball off of the brand of tops and it was just very happy that we were able to do that sooner rather than later and 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 keep it going because you know for for all the history of it, it's very important well you know i gotta tell you man that like from the period of you know mid-august when it was announced that fanatics got the licenses to the announcement of tops there was so much speculation in the hobby about how are you guys going to make cards you know a lot you know some people said well they have to buy an existing company uh, some people were in the there were people in the panini camp the tops camp the upper deck camp everyone had you know people were in, in one of the camps or or multi camps but when it was announced that it was tops to me it was like well obviously that makes the most sense was it the did it make the most sense to you from the get-go as well oh yeah absolutely i mean the the fact that basketball and football have been with multiple brands historically 
Um, you, you know, we'll see if anything happens with Panini. I mean, Michael has been has stated publicly that that he would be open to to acquiring Panini. Um, but Topps Chrome basketball is as important as Panini basketball as ever. You know, Topps Chrome football is as important, right? So um, if uh, if we have just Topps, we can make every sport. Um, I'd be more than happy with that. Um, and, you know, it, it was also um, th- when you just look at the licenses and, and everything else, um, baseball was expiring sooner than basketball and football. So we just had to make it. We had to move more quickly in, on baseball anyway. Makes sense. OK, um, I have on the ticker right now. I'm, I'm going to do a little uh, promo for something I'm involved in now called Trade Safe. Have you have you heard of Trade Safe yet? You know, this is like the second or third time I've heard about it. I've actually would love to hear about it from you. Yeah, I uh, appreciate that. So it's uh, a new a new company, a new service in the hobby that myself and uh, and there there's seven people on the team, and it was founded by a gentleman by the name of Steve Foley uh, about a year ago. And uh, over the past year, uh, he recruited me about ten months ago, and we've been building up the the idea, the the systems, the process, and of course the team. And uh, so we just launched uh, a week and a half ago. And basically, Congrats. the yeah, thank you. Uh, basically, the mission of TradeSafe is to provide safe trading for peer-to-peer hobbyists uh, who are doing deals on any social media platform. So if you're if you meet somebody on in a Facebook group or you meet somebody on a message board or Twitter, Instagram, wherever it is, and you don't necessarily trust each other, you don't know them, maybe they don't have vouches, maybe you don't have a reputation yet, who cares? Use TradeSafe. And the way it works is that both feet, you agree on the deal, you fill out our form, and you bait and we send you a shipping label you send your cards into our hub we verify we make sure we verify with each with with both parties once everyone's verified then we ship it out so if, let's say you and i are doing a deal josh and i don't know that you're actually going to send me my cards but you insist i send first well hey look josh i trust you but let's use trade safe all right so i'm going to yep. send my cards over to trade safe and they're not going to send my cards to you until you send your cards to them that they can then forward on to me and the, the, we also are, are going to be able to handle cash deals as well. So if you're just buying and selling. So nice. that's what it is, really trying to bring a safe option to uh, to a, a problem that the hobby has had for quite some time. So that's what it is. That's great. I mean, a thousand percent, it's a, a needed service. Um, the um, This idea I've heard uh, talked about a lot in the sneaker industry. Um, you know, at StockX, people used to ask us all the time to uh, to try to create some sort of service. It was never a priority um, for StockX. Um, I think that, that like it's needed, so that's good. Uh, hopefully, you guys can figure out how to make that work as a business. Is there a fee for the yeah, oh yeah. for the people? Yes, yes, of course. Ten dollar, ten dollars per side. So oh. ten bucks to. So regardless of the value of the card. Regardless, of, yeah. Well, we we are maxing the values up to our insurance coverage. Right. So. Yeah, up to fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, and up to twenty cards each way. So, yeah, that's great. No, I mean, look, it's it's a needed service. So hopefully, you can you know make it work as a business. It's um, you know, it's a frankly, it's a it's a tough business, I think. Um, and so I'm 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 rooting for you because it's one of those things that um, there's a you, you see these these things happen over time where there's uh there's a customer need but there's not the right unit economics or there hasn't been the right And A lot of times it's the timing of it or technology of it or whatever. So hopefully that the timing is right and you guys can do it. So congrats. Well, I got to say you, you were inspiring when you were on here last time, I asked you what I asked you, what advice would you give 
somebody who was looking to start a new business in the hobby. And your response was basically twofold. It was tell everybody about it. You remember that? Totally. Tell everybody about it. And then it was execute, 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 just do it. Yeah. And so, you know, we took a while to get, we, we went through a, a few challenges of, you know, app and money and all these things. And then we decided to be the, the, to get the first mover advantage and launch with a, a website and a form and then, you know, prove the concept and, and go from there. So uh, you were inspiring that, that back in July last year, yes. Josh, and I hope you inspired others. I'm sure you did. I think it's, uh, I think the best advice is again, execution is probably the most important thing in getting things done in business. Thousand percent. And just just get it out there. You will learn more in the three weeks after you launch than you did in the 10 months it you know took you to get to launch, right? Like just you know, get out there. The customers will tell you what you need to know. So that's great. That's great. That's yeah, awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for hearing me out on that. And uh, and, yeah. and and the platform and everybody watching, thanks for uh you know letting me talk about that for a few minutes and getting Josh's feedback. Uh, that's that's awesome. Um okay. I don't have anything else on my notes to ask you. I'm going to, uh, let's hang out for a couple minutes here. Put it to the chat. I have to admit to, to the chat, it's been tough to watch everything going on in there so far. So um, I'm going to, uh, oh, there we go. One of one memorabilia card said that you inspired him last time. And one of one memorabilia cards does make some pretty awesome custom cards uh, and custom for, for really for events and life events is what it is. Um, they even sent me one. It's, it's back up there, right? there right beside my daughter uh, graded guards that you inspired him that's pretty awesome david owen says luber you still own that hoodie crypto punk oh yeah i do um i'm, I'm holding that one long term um, i am long on crypto punks they've been pretty volatile obviously for a while but yeah you're long and here's a here's a good question um Offlick says did you ever hire that assistant that you've been uh, advertising for on your instagram account so um, I hired uh, one person the first time, um, and he lasted a week. And so I don't know if that was me or him or whatever. So then we uh -huh. we started we started over again, um, and uh, and yeah, uh, actually found um, someone who is perfect uh, and is doing it. I in in fairness to a lot of the people that applied and um, uh, which was uh, humbling, is I was looking for a very very specific thing which is um which is not uh which is not normal which is have someone that um is okay um doing a lot of the admin personal assistant stuff that just has to get done but also um is able to to do a lot of the higher level work um and um and do that because i i want somebody that can actually engage in, and i can let them sit in on meetings and help make decisions and, and be part of it and I've just never had an assistant in any level. Um, I travel by myself. I, you know, I, I just, I like to, I just find that stuff easier. So, you know, it's kind of like dating or, or, you know, getting married or sharing your, your business life with somebody is, is hard to open that up. So it, it took a while to find the right person. Okay. Well, congrats. Here's a great question from Tom Bullard. He says, are we going to see players more in the hobby marketing and interacting now that they have a percentage and vested interest? to see the hobby grow a hundred percent we're gonna ask um you know and the the players associations um who, that are part of it, which for us you know there's there's five entities that have equity um in fanatics collectibles the nba the nba players association mlb mlb players association and nflpa um and so um there is obviously a uh a 
you know, a limit and you can only, you know, do so much, but a hundred percent, we're going to ask, and we're going to try to get them more involved, particularly, as I mentioned earlier, like at the local level where, by the way, they can be way more impactful, right? The, you know, the, the backup catcher for the nationals is way more impactful at a local card shop in Washington than he would be, you know, doing something, you know, live when doing breaking on, on air with fanatics. So. Fair, 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 fair. We have Eddie from Investicard. He wants to know what are Fanatics plans and thoughts on the finance side of leveraging high-end sports cards? Yeah. So no immediate plans. Um, and, uh, and, and that's simply because we talked about that, um, you know, that, that um, consumer journey and uh, the sort of integrated experience for them. Um, that's it, it's farther down, down the road uh, or it's far, farther down that experience. But for sure, um, we think that's important. And I personally 100% think that um, trading cards become uh, more of a traditional financial asset. You know, I, I think you'll have the, you know, vanguards of the world have trading card desks, uh, you know, like they do for, for, other, um, uh, for other assets. So I think we'll see more of that. And hopefully um, the work that we do to, um, to, to create that, that financial uh, um, technology platform, but even the, the data and standardizing that at the very beginning, right? Think about, you can have a single card that gets named differently by SGC, BGS, PSA, one, and now, you know, HGA, ISA, you know, all the others. Even, even as simple as us, when we create cards, creating uh, um, uh, consistent metadata across everything so that everybody can hit the card with a, a RFID stick and know exactly the name that like all of that stuff, it goes in all those things help facilitate and stand up the financial business as well, because you have to have all of that as just like the ante to play for all of it. So, so hopefully that we can support all that stuff, even if we're not even in that part of the industry. Do you think that there are, do you think that there are lots of people like investor type people who are just gobbling up high, high quality cards, you know, whether it's vintage or, or really rare modern cards um, and really quietly just building war chests filled with, with these cards because they're, you know, it's like real estate. They're not making any more of them, especially the, you know, the, the older ones, of course, they're making more into the future, but like, is there something like that going on out there right now where this thing could really blow up in the future? Like with, without, that, even without fanatics being involved? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that's a different, part of the industry, you know, from us for sure. Um, you know, I think there are, there are definitely some, I think it's probably less than there should be, if that makes sense. You know, I, I think if just at an education level and again, you know, the, the, uh, making it easier to, to get in the market, understand it, um, that there would be a lot of people that have a lot of money that you know, there's a lot of people for whom spending a million dollars on cards, was a drop in the bucket and, and would not be a, a big deal. Um, so I, I think that, that we'll see that as, as we grow. Um, and I think, again, I think that's a good thing. The more money in the hobby, um, it's a good thing. And um, yeah. All right. We've got some, you good for time right now. We've got, having some yeah, I got, I, I have like about another 10 minutes and I got to get some dinner and then have another call. So no problem. No problem. Let's uh hobby champs makes a, a suggestion. He says, uh, can you change redemption cards to be actual cards of the player with a scratch off code would create value for unopened product containing expired redemptions? I love that idea. Love that idea. Um, and 
uh, everything's on the table with regard to redemption cards, the process. Um, and, um, you know, look, it, it's worth noting because this is this is maybe the number one question that, that we get asked um, is, you know, how can we you get rid of redemption cards? You know, all of that. This is process. This is elbow grease. This is, you know, how do you get um, thousands of players to sign thousands of cards and get them all back in time? and not delay the product. And, you know, it's a, and which also gets in the questions on sticker autos versus on card autos and, and all of that. It's, it is a, a complicated thing. And um, we're obviously going to take a crack at it. And we're obviously going to try to in, improve the process, but I really like the idea of like, why can't the card itself be, be nicer? Why can't the card yeah. itself also be collectible? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a great idea. Thanks. All right. Uh, Sports card stallion wants to know, have you ever thought about having a utility for a physical card? Like I pull a card, and get a follow from the person on the card. Well, think about just the concept of redemption, right? Today, it is almost always a redemption for a card. Why can't that be a redemption for a FaceTime with Mike Trout or a car or, you know, a, a watch or, or like the, the world of possibility, right? And by the way, it doesn't have to be a redemption either, right? It can just be a card that has a QR code that you hit it. And it also comes, you know, with that. So, yeah, I mean, as, as we just think about one, the number of ways to create value in products um, and also just to distinguish um, the different products so that you have other stuff, you know, I, I think stuff like that is, is absolutely a possibility. Yeah. That's a, it's a neat idea for sure. KD collectible says, what is your opinion on the fractional ownership tokenization of high value, rarer assets? Um, I love this in theory. Um, you know, the, the few companies in the space, um, rally collectible Otis, um, have been grinding. I mean, really grinding to get to where they're at. I think long-term, this is a really big industry. Um, and there's a, there's a lot there. Um, but I do think it's still probably got another couple of years of, of grinding to really get there because you just need liquidity. You need a lot of liquidity in the space. A lot of people are doing it. So as we grow the whole hobby, you have more people that'll be interested in that of just by the nature of just more people there. So I, I think it's more of a long-term thing. Um, you know, you know, shout out to Rob at Rally. Like, you know, he's done a great job of, of really grinding and building that, but I, I wouldn't want to run that business. Like it's a, it's a tough business right now to, to do it. Um, but I do believe in it long-term. What, what did you think about collectible recently announcing that they've added Joe Orlando as an, in a new president position? Yeah. You know, I don't um, know Joe well, but like, God, talk about a guy who's just got to have just the world of, of institutional knowledge about every part of it. Like, it's, it's amazing, right? Like to have, to have somebody with, with that, that, that purview on, on the industry, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I interviewed him on Sunday on Collectibles YouTube channel. And if anyone watching hasn't seen it, it was a, it was a great conversation. And I'd encourage you to go to the Collectible TV YouTube channel and watch that episode along with the other content that they're curating over there. It, it's really good stuff. Uh, nice. Fire Sports Card says, uh, Josh, how do you feel about the non-game used player-worn relics being used lately and if Fanatics plans to only use game used relics in cards? Yeah, that's a weird thing, right? Um, I don't know. I, let me first say that um, we're, we're definitely several cycles away from getting anywhere near operation like i said we're, we're just getting up to speed with with tops and integrating it um this it goes to a higher level question on on how do you create value how do you create valuable cards and um 
So I, I don't know. I, I think that there's a place for um, relics in cards that aren't game used. Now, is it a jersey? Does it need to be a jersey of the of the same thing? I don't know. Maybe it's a picture of the player or maybe like, so I, I don't know. It's an open question. I agree. It's kind of a weird thing. And, and, but I mean, you know, outside of the, the high end stuff, right. Outside of, you know, national treasure, any patch in a prism card or a select card or like where a tops card is worth less than the base card anyway. So, you know, it's a, all of that I think is, is a weird, um, it's just, it's just a weird construct when you look at like, if the goal was to create valuable cards and long-term valuable cards, then we're doing all this extra work and and time and money and effort to put in stuff. And then we're making cards that are worth less than the cards that don't have the stuff in them. So I don't know, like that, all that stuff I think needs to get get re-looked at and and think of how it works. So I like to hear that you say that it needs to be re-looked at. I think that's a a good approach for now. Just, you know, educate yourself and try and figure it out, find, find a nice, alternative i think i think the hobby's biggest complaints really are around the rpas you know and they so especially with the money that that is spent on those uh ganger's lab wants to know any sneak peeks for mint collective um i'll say this um one of the things that i want to do at mint um is so i am i'm speaking and so there's that but uh, i'll be there for a lot other than that is um, I want to have the opportunity to talk to a lot of people who I don't normally get to talk to. So whether that's hobby shop owners or um, breakers or, or people, because there'll be so many people in the hobby there. So we're going to try to figure out a process that um, that I can get to, to talk to people and people that don't normally get have a chance to to talk to me or other people that work for, you know, fanatics or tops to do that. So I think that more than anything, um, and we'll announce the structure of, of that and how we facilitate that. Um, as we get closer, but that's actually the thing I'm most excited about for a minute. That's a, yeah, it's a great opportunity to network at the at this event for sure. Nate Nicholas wants to know how are we going to keep kids in the hobby so we don't end up like train set collectors. That's a really this is this is a very important question, critical type of question. And it's I an amazing question. It, it's it's at, it is the most important question with a pretty comical. Um, little uh, uh joke there train set yeah. collectors i remember um walking into a uh hobby shop as a kid it was called a ho- like a hobby shop and it was all trains i'm like that was this was where the baseball cards yeah. um yeah um you know this gets to what we were talking about earlier with um with card shops supporting local card shops um and um and and technology so we we talk internally a lot about becoming a marketing company becoming a technology company um, we need to spend real money on marketing, bring more people in the hobby and make it easy for them to stay in the hobby, et cetera. And, you know, kids are, are the, the, um, the, the tip of the iceberg there, right? It has to be some of the hobby shops that, that when you look at, you know, Rob Veris, uh, who is very, very good at self-promotion and, and but he's done a great job of creating, you know, um, specific programs for kids to come into a shop. And so as you look at some of those examples a hobby shop has done, we are going to try to make sure that all other hobby shops, you know, can share that information and understand how to do that because it, it is the, the important part of it. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that they're, they're top of mind. And uh, obviously we all want this thing to last generations. So uh, right. we need to keep the next one ready to go. Uh, Joe Pro probably has the most important question of the night. He wants to know, are you wearing a tiger's hat or something else? 
this is my uh, one of my uh, several uh, Mariners hats. Um, I'm a Griffey fan, you know. Fair. I, yeah. I I um I basically wear backwards hats because of Ken Griffey Jr. Like that was like as a kid, I, you know, like he was the the cool player who wore backwards hats. So yeah, backwards hats and hoodies. That that's your signature, Coach Brown. Any teaser for the next product from Zero Cool? I'll add that on the end. Um, I'll just repeat what I said earlier that um, the next major release will be a more traditional IP. Um, uh, and um, so, so you, but you do know what it is. Like it, it's already yeah. being designed yeah, and yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Any, yeah. Any target release month or date? Soon, soon, soon. Okay, great, great. Uh, M. Jordan, M. Jordan says, any chance we bridge more of sneaker culture into cards? What's up, Josh? No, oh, what's up, man? Uh, yeah, a thousand percent. Right. I mean, if I had my my dream trading card set, um, you know, it's probably all the most important people in there. It's, you know, Murakami and Cause and Travis Scott and, and Virgil and, uh, you know, Kanye and Pharrell. And, and um, like that's to me the the absolute like pinnacle of this. And if we can figure out a way to, to create um, sets like that. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard, as I mentioned earlier, around creating those type of sets because you have to create separate deals with each of, all of those players. Um, I also give a little bit of a, of a um, uh, sneak preview is that um, we hired somebody from the sneaker industry, very notable person. Uh, that person starts in a couple of weeks and we will make an announcement. And so if that that's looked forward to. And so um, but it's all in the same same goal right of, of doing that stuff so yeah okay good stuff we're gonna we got a few more questions they keep coming in so i know i i let's go let's go another like five six minutes and, and i gotta eat all right all right let's do let's do uh greg cone what are the plans for mitchell and ness will it will it will you attempt to turn custom jerseys into sneaker type collectibles concert worn jerseys yep so mitchell and ness was purchased by fanatics commerce the sort of core company um, and, uh, so they're, they're not, we have no direct, uh, relationship or, or management of them. Um, and I don't know what the, the immediate plans are. Um, Finax Commerce is, you know, that's, you know, Michael Rubin and, and, um, and that team. Um, but I will say that, um, on a personal level, um, I'm, uh, close with Don C who is an investor in StockX and, and a friend and has done probably more collaborations uh, with Mitchell Ness than anyone um, and really bridged the gap between uh, trying to create, uh, make um, jerseys and, and everything part of culture again. And when you look at the sort of high level goal of making trading cards uh, truly part of culture, um, I think that there's a real interesting opportunity with Mitchell and Ness, with Don, with that. So I think there's something there, um, but there's no immediate plans because it, it's, it's separate. Fair. Yeah. If it's not even part of it, because you work for Fanatics Collectibles, not right. the bigger, not the, the parent. Okay. That's right. Good to know. Uh, Chris from Card Ladder says, you don't need to worry about keeping kids in the hobby. They're already outbidding you on your favorite grails. Is that, is there truth to that? Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's actually one of the more interesting things when you go to card shows these days and see, you know, some of these 12 year old kids sitting there and negotiating with grown men and, you know, they know exactly what they're doing and, you know, it's pretty awesome. It's great. And then I just see, he says, we need less kids in the hobby, but he's obviously kidding about that. 
You are right, Chris. Of course yeah. you are. Because because by the way, they're fearless, and you know they're going up there and look. They got the card. What are you going to do? You want to buy the car from them? You got to got to negotiate with them. So, yeah, that's good. What do you you know? Here's maybe we can end with this question, and and I'm, I got to take my eyes off the comments because they're coming fast and furious. But I hear a lot of narrative about you know people are feeling like today's hobby is starting to feel like it was in the early 90s the junk wax era as it's commonly referred to you know in your position now and just your thoughts on the hobby up until today you know the last couple of years really what are your thoughts on that are we are we heading like are there any key differences key similarities that you feel you can answer this question say no we are not in another 90s junk wax era or do you feel that we we there are some similarities that that we could potentially be there yeah this is um this is a very important topic um so much so that you know i wrote 53 pages on it um the um there's a lot of differences and we it, we really aren't anywhere near the same at the same risk of of what happened before um, first of all, the fundamental reason we got to that place back in the 90s was there was no transparency, like none. Like this is all pre-internet. So everybody thought they were the only ones that had 12 Griffey 89 upper decks, but like we all had 12 upper decks, but we didn't know that all you had was visibility into like what the Beckett price guide said and what your local hobby shop said. Like we didn't have the internet, let alone all the data and technology to understand and, and understand transparency of supply and who has what and where and what it sells for. So that alone is is night and day. But also back then, you know, we didn't have the, um, it, it was all base cards, right? The reason it was junk is because by definition, you knew exactly what you were going to get in that box and none of those cards were valuable and there was no possibility of pulling a rare or valuable card out of it. So, um, and obviously that's not the case now. I do think though, um, that uh, it's important that all the manufacturers, not just the, you know the ones that that we work with, um, take a, a, a really deep look at how we continue to iterate and make cards that have long-term value. And we're at the point where everyone in the hobby, particularly Tops Panini Upper Deck, um, have made a lot of money in the past couple of years. That now's the time to err on the side of the products having long-term value as opposed to short-term profits. Um, for those companies. And sometimes that means that you make less and you could have sold more, but you make less anyway. Um, and those are the sort of things that that I want to make sure that we think about at uh, at Fanatics Collectibles as we make them, because, you know, if well, you get it right, it's yeah. it's it's super important to, to keep that in mind. And the, the only way to grow the hobby is that the people that come in and buy cards, if they like if they lose money, if they if they continue to lose money, they, they open boxes and, and it's not worth anything, they're gonna go away and, and the whole the whole thing goes away. So yeah, yeah. You know, in when we have uh, meetings for trade safe, one of the things that I, I I'm I'm very uh, sort of aggressive with 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 the with the team is that you know if we I always say and they buy in, but I say if we put the hobby first, if we always think hobby first, yes. we will be successful. Are you thinking that way too? Thousand percent. It, it's like everything that we've talked about, it's about growth. It's about the people that come in. It's about that customer experience. And one of the many reasons of why I am 
I couldn't be happier and, and more appreciative of the relationship with, with Michael Rubin and fanatics and, and to do this is that's how they view it. That's how they've always viewed, uh, you know, fanatics is it's about the fan. It's about what does that, that person want um, and, uh, and how to do that. So yeah, that, that's the driving force for all of this. Awesome. Okay, man, listen, we're, we're going to end it there. I'm going to uh, thank you very much for joining. Yep. Appreciate your time. I think we covered a lot of topics here in about an hour and a half. So um, yeah. I'm going to end it, Josh. Hang tight, though. Stay stay backstage. Give me, give me two more minutes of your sure. time. Everybody else who's watching, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for all the great thank contributions you. to the chat. This coming Saturday, Chris and Josh from Card Ladder are joining me. That, that's it. We're going to end it right there. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll see you on Saturday. Have a good rest of the week. And uh, again, thank you to Josh. Josh, hang tight. Thank you very much. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.